Well, it's good to be back with you again this evening. I'm glad for the presence of each one of you here. I know it takes a lot of effort. The spirit is willing, but our flesh does tend to get weary, and so it takes a little extra effort sometimes to put the time in to come to the house of God and to feed upon God's word. Again, this evening I bring you uh, greetings in the name of Jesus, the one who says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Uh, John 10 says, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And then in verse 27 to 28, he sets his focus on the sheep. He says, my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. What a blessing this evening. We have a shepherd that is interested in his sheep. He's interested to the point that he will shed his blood uh, for the sheep, and we know he has done that. But you kind of get the picture here, you know, David, uh, when he was standing and facing Goliath, or actually when he was speaking with Saul, um, you know, speaking with Saul, and uh, Saul was trying to convince him that he couldn't, he couldn't possibly go out there and fight Goliath, he says, well, there was a bear came and he took one of the sheep from the flock, and I rose up and slew the bear. And he goes on to say, uh, a lion did the same thing, and he said, I took the lamb from the lion's mouth. There was the willingness to give his life for the sheep. And so this evening, certainly a blessing to know that we are cared for, we're protected. And the interesting thing about the fold of Jesus Christ, you know, there's a door to get into that fold. And the good shepherd keeps that door. And, you know, the sheep are not forced in that door. They're in there because they chose to go in. And the shepherd has given them the privilege of entering in. And so this evening, again, the blessing, he's, you know, he says, I give unto them eternal life. As I often ponder and think about the Christian life, yes, there's, there's, there's those trials, there's the struggles, there's, there's the temptations that we face. But when I look at the blessings as a child of God uh, in this time present, you know, to follow Jesus, the blessings that are here would be far more, uh, far more in value than the trials and the sufferings that we face uh, in this life. But the ultimate blessing of God is eternal life. Uh, he says in John 17, 3, he says, And this is life eternal, that we may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Before I go into the message, the main part of the message this evening, I mentioned earlier I'm going to give opportunity for testimony, and I thought this evening I would open it up if someone has something they would like to share by word of testimony. Uh, something that's spoken to you throughout the week.
Well, I'm not going to keep you long. I'm not going to make you uncomfortable because a lot of times when it's opened up like that, I, I sit there too because I think I get the time to expose myself uh, other times. And so uh, anyway, this evening, the title of the message is that ye may know. Um, last evening we talked about the mind, but the burden of the message this evening is, is that we may be renewed in strength by a ref, uh, strength and vision by finding a refuge in the promises of God. Uh, this evening for a scripture text, you can turn to John 3. But just a little introduction to the book of 1 John, I say John 3, 1 John 3. Uh, one of the things in the book of 1 John, one of the words that surfaces again and again in the book of 1 John is that ye may know. Or the idea of having a knowledge of salvation. Uh, I think that word appears in one form or another, not all the, not all of the, uh, the Greek, I mean, the, the, the Greek words that have the idea of a knowledge or the emphasis on a knowledge appears 30 times in the book of 1 John. And so the book of 1 John, you know, emphasizes on the fact of a knowledge of salvation and, and what the foundation and what the basis of that salvation is. And in that, we can be confident of our relationship with Jesus Christ. You might say, why the emphasis on knowing or understanding our, our relationship with Christ? But I'd like to say this evening that Satan is a master deceiver. And one of the things that Satan does, he wants to make the sinner, the man that is bound in sin, he wants to make him feel safe. You know, I've spoken with people already that were living on the fringes. They were... Uh, doing things that I certainly wouldn't have felt comfortable doing, uh, things that the scriptures would condemn, and yet they profess to be Christians and, and, and uh, you know, they, 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 they believe they're going to go to heaven. I had an employee one time, a young man that I employed with the intent that possibly we could, we could help him, but the man was, the young man was on drugs, he was involved with immorality, he was and when you would approach him about it, he would say, oh, no, 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 I am saved. I am saved. I, I accepted Jesus when I was five years old, and I am saved. And, and so he was feeling very safe uh, based on lies of the devil. The other thing that I've seen as I've gone through life relating with people, and that is that there's people, they, they struggle with the assurance. And you ask them and you say, well, is there something in your life that you know that is not made right between you and God? They say, no, no, everything is, I, I don't know what it is, but I just have this sort of guilt feeling that always follows. And, and I'm here to tell you tonight, when God lays his hand on our life and there's issues that bring guilt, if it's just guilt by the Holy Spirit of God touching our hearts, God lays his hand on specifics in our life. It's not just that, you know, well, maybe I did something 
or maybe I said something. You know, that kind of struggle. So again, it's important that we understand that our salvation this evening is not, not anchored in emotion or feelings, but it's knowing and abiding in the truth. Uh, John, tell, in, in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, Jesus says, If you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Again, talking about salvation, uh, Brother Matt shared with us there from uh, or the knowledge of salvation in, in Ephesians chapter 6, where it gives us the, uh, the, uh, the Christian armor. It talks there about the, the, the uh, helmet of salvation. Uh, there again, that helmet of salvation is the protecting of the mind and, and, and having that knowledge of salvation. In, Hebrew, or in 1 Thessalonians 5, 8, it says, And let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. And that word hope uh, doesn't, doesn't uh, you know, the, the English language today has really downplayed the word hope. We say, I hope it don't rain because I have hay laying. Or I, I hope uh, the car starts today when I go out. I know the battery was a little dead. And so I hope, uh, you know, there's that fickle, uh, that, that fickle desire that we, we say we hope. However, when the, when the Bible talks about the hope of salvation, it's talking about a, it's talking about a confident, expectation that is that is built on the promises of God and so the helmet of salvation is the 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 expectations that come because of the promises that God has made uh, so let's without more introduction to the message let's go to John chapter 3 first John chapter 3 and we'll read the entire chapter it says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And verse 3 says, And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is a transgression of the law. And ye know that he was manifest to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not, and whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. 
And for this purpose, the Son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born, does, born of God does not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifest in the children of the devil. Whoso doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life, because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in deed, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall our, assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. He that keepeth his commandments dwell in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. As I look at that, I see five different things in this, in this passage of Scripture whereby we can have confidence uh, and be confident of our relationship with Jesus Christ and our eternal salvation. Uh, the first thing we want to look at is in verses 1 to 4. Uh, this, this, uh, this truth is established in our hearts uh, by knowledge of what Jesus has done for us. In verse 1, he says, behold, behold, uh, think about what Jesus has done for us. Uh, it says, behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed on us uh, that we should be called the sons of God. You know, we have the privilege of salvation because of God's love. You know, there's the perception of God among many religions that, you know, God is some kind of an angry being. I relate a lot with the Pakistani Muslims down on the eastern shore in my work. I may refer to that a little later on, but the, you know, their concept of God is that God is angry. God is looking for a reason to punish humanity. And 
you know, you, you somehow, you, you try and appease him by doing good works. And, you know, you, you, man that is simply in the flesh, you know, he bears the condemnation of sin. He feels condemned before God, and he feels the wrath of God is, is there and, and just waiting for the opportunity to be poured out. And so they, uh, they piously pray uh, three times a day or four times a day. I forget what it is. I know already they've been in my office. And, you know, which way is east? Uh, we, need a, we need to go take care of prayer. Which way is east? I say, well, it's back that way. They look at me a little bit, and after I get out their phone, put it the compass, and oh yeah, okay. Uh, so they they get that right. They they you know, but that's all this 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 phobia that God is angry. Yes, God is angry with the sinner. God cannot. God in His holiness cannot tolerate sin in His presence. But beyond that, God is a God of love who seeks to redeem and deliver humanity from sin. So we behold the manner of love that, that God has towards us uh, in that he sent his son to redeem us. He sent Jesus uh, to deliver us from the power and the bondage of Satan. It's in whom we have redemption. In him we have redemption, even the forgiveness of sin. And not only did he come to redeem us, but he gave us the privilege of being adopted into his family. You know, he receives humanity that is redeemed. Uh, he adopts them into his family. And I don't have time to, to look at all that. But he came so that you and I could have a relationship and fellowship with him. By this we know we have or in the grace of god by this we know that we have a better hope jesus is coming back and when he does we shall see him as he is you know we don't know we have the promise of god's word that in god's word that jesus is coming back and we don't know all the details about that and we don't even know what our new bodies our eternal bodies are going to look like but that's not really that important because when he comes back uh, we're going to be like him we're going to be created with a heavenly body and we're going to see him as he is that's the hope that is the expectation that we have in jesus christ we shall be like him every person who knows this truth and every person that believes this truth, uh, that person will live according to the truth. Uh, it tells us there in verse 3, Every man that hath this hope or this expectation in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. And, and as I look at that, we, you know, we, we don't take our relationship with Jesus Christ casually. It's not something that's casual. It's something that we are serious about. And we know that we are here in this world and 
the things of this world do affect us. And so there's, at times, those stains of sin that we, you know, we, we, we fail to measure up to the mark of perfection. But he says here, the person that, the person that uh, has this hope in himself, he lives with a desire for purity and holiness. Uh, the other evening I spoke a little bit about the, the tabernacle and the worship in the tabernacle, but the priest, when he came to go into the holy place, not necessarily the holy of holies, but every day, every morning, the priest came and he would go to go into the holy place where you had the showbread, where you had the offer of incense, and you had the lampstand, the golden lampstand. And, and that priest went in there into the presence of God. That, that holy place was a place of communion and fellowship with God. And the priest, as he entered there, he passed that brazen laver, that, uh, that brass laver of polished brass, and there he would wash. You know, he would, he would wash himself, he would look into it, he'd look for stain, and he would take care of that. And then he would enter in to the holy place. That's sort of the idea of a person purifying himself, even as Jesus is pure. It's not something casual. We take that relationship serious. The person that has this hope of Jesus' return and going to be with him and to be like him. The second point that I'd like to look at is that in verses 5 to 10, uh, we know we have a relationship with him by being freed from the bondage of sin. If we look at verse 5, it says, And we know that Jesus was manifest to take away our sin. Now, Jesus came from heaven to earth, for the express purposes of taking away the sin of humanity. It goes on to say in Jesus there was no sin. And we look at all the blood that was shed uh, in the Old Testament covenant. Uh, the, you, you, you had the requirements of them selecting that sacrifice uh, from as near as they could to, uh, from a perfect animal. But those those uh, those animals' blood that was shed simply covered over sin. It didn't remove it. But Jesus came as a perfect man. There was no sin in him. And therefore, he became the perfect sacrifice for our sin. And it says here that Jesus came. He was seen. He was made known. Uh, he he. He lived his life among humanity. He lived a holy life, a perfect life. And then he was, it says he was manifest or he was made known to take away our sin. It was only the perfect blood of Jesus Christ, the perfect person, that sin could be removed. His blood satisfied the righteous demands of God on behalf of sinners. His resurrection through the gift of the Holy Spirit, he gives the believer a life of victory over sin. 
and a lively hope in the resurrection. He goes on here, he says, whosoever, in verse 4, he said, whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. Now, that word committeth is the idea, it, it is not the idea of that we will never fall, that we will never slip, that we will never fail to measure up to the mark of perfection. What it is simply saying there, that, that idea of committeth sin has the idea of a person that willfully continues in the way of sin. The person who is born again, uh, he is you know, he is going to deal with the sin issue. There's going to be that desire in his heart for a righteous and a pure life. But the reality is in Romans 5, it says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so sin passed on to all men, for, their, uh, for, for that all have sinned. Uh, we have, we come into the years of adulthood or adolescent years of life and we have the knowledge of sin. You know, there's them things that we have done where we have transgressed against God. And so, you know, Jesus comes to take away our sin. Just as sin entered the world by one man, Adam, Jesus Christ came to redeem us from the bondage of sin. If we go back to the first chapter of 1 John, this, this, this dealing with sin. Uh, in verse 6 it says, If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and his truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And so there we have this whole idea of confessing sin, being honest and open before God, and, and God will cleanse us our sin, and not only will he cleanse us our sin, but he gives us power over sin, and we have fellowship one with another. Uh, there's a lot could be said on that idea where, where you know, sin divides where uh, honesty, openness, and confession brings people together. And so we see here the, the taking care, the dealing of sin with confession and repentance and faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. But then we go on into verse uh, chapter 2, uh, coming back to this idea that the person that is born again does not condone a life of sin. He says in verse 2, he says, My children, these are chapter 2, verse 1, My little children, these things I write unto you that ye sin not. In other words, we don't 
make room. We don't make excuse for sin. You know, we, we have the privilege of having our sins washed away. And in the new life of the Holy Spirit, there is, there is victory to live above the bondage of sin. But he goes on to say here, and if any, first of all, he writes that we don't sin. But he says, and if any man sin. You know, see, there we have not the intention to sin, but there is those shortcomings that we face in life. Uh, Jesus was manifest to take away our sin. Uh, we can be washed away. Uh, the, our sins can be washed away. Uh, we're not to make concession or excuse for sin. But then in, he goes on in that verse 1. He says, and if any man sin. If there is that shortcoming, that failure. He says, we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ the righteous. We're talking tonight about the assurance of salvation. You know, we don't make concession for sin, but if we fall short, we have an advocate with the Father. Now, an advocate is one who represents your case before the judge. You know, if you go to India, an office of law they're going to say they're advocates. You hire an advocate to represent you before the law, before the judge. And so what we have here is the person that makes a mistake, it wasn't right. You know, Jesus is there to intercede for the Father uh, for us. And then it goes on to say in verse 2, it says, For he is our propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. And he says there, And hereby we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. And so you have the idea there that our, our sin is taken care of. We don't justify. We don't walk in sin. We don't live in sin. Um, so we, we, you know, as, we, as we look at that, our sins are washed. And in that, when we have the forgiveness of sins, you know, we can have the assurance of a right relationship with God. Uh, we don't take sin casually. We, we desire the truth. We desire truth and holiness in the inward parts. You know, the psalmist talks about having cleanness in the inward parts, and that's that's what, you know, that's, that's what the, the born-again believer is desiring. He's desiring holiness and, holiness and, and right, truth in the inward parts and holiness and righteousness uh, as an expression of life. Um, going on, the, the uh, next thing that we find here is that in verse 14... It says, by this we know that we have passed from death onto life because we love the brotherhood. Because we love the brethren. Verse 14 of chapter 3 says, And we know 
that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. You know, this, this thing of loving the brethren is something that is foreign to our world today. We live in a world today that is totally given to narcissism and existentialism. And when I say narcissism, maybe I can just describe it. It's, it's someone, a few months ago, I was at a funeral in the Weaverland Conference Church, and, and uh, the minister that was, was preaching, he, he said, the human nature can best be described like this. They all want the front seat of the bus, the back seat in church, and always at the center of attention. That's kind of where humanity today, it's, it's all about self. Narcissism is simply the worship of self. Existentialism says that anything I do to gratify self, the means or the end justifies the means. And that's really where the, the whole pro-choice or yeah, the pro-choice thing comes out of. You know, if I, if that child is, is, is going to be an inconvenience for me, um, the end of abort, the, the the end of taking the life of that child is worth the, uh, so I can go on with my life, gratifying self. And that's only one area. I mean, we see that in our society around us. But we, you know, the, the, the whole thing of existentialism, it's the overpowering self-life. And, you know, it's, uh, you hear people today, but, you know, but I think, I feel, I am, I will do, I will not do, I will have it my way, I will express myself as I want. Well, that's the whole core of existential or of, of narcissism and you know it doesn't matter who you hurt in the process however John says we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren the love of the brethren is on a completely opposite spectrum of that selfish uh, self nature that motivates and controls so many of people in society today uh, it, it says here you know because we love the brethren and I, I'd like to just go over to chapter 5 there's two verses or three verses in there that I would like to read chapter 5 of 1st John verse 2 says by this we know that we love the children of God or this is at least one way that we know he said, when we love God and keep his commandments, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. You know, whosoever is born of God overcometh the world and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Uh, loving the brethren, it says we know that we love God or we love the children of God, which would be the brethren, when we love God and keep his commandments. Um, 
you ever think of the love of God, the love of the brethren in that light? You know, if I love the brothers, then I'm not going to be a stumbling block in their life, but I'm going to love God, I'm going to keep his commandments, and I like what it says, when we love God, we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. You know, that's the difference between the child of God and the person that really doesn't love God. You, you will find some people that because of pending consequences in the present will do that which is right. They will keep some of the commandments, but they chafe and they struggle and they wrestle and they complain. But brothers and sisters, when we love God, when we love the brethren, we will love God, we will keep his commandments, and them commandments are not going to be heavy. Rather, they're going to be a joy. They're going to be an expression of joy. We know that we love God, that we have passed from death to life when we love the brethren. And uh, you know, brethren is a large term. Uh, brethren could have to do with people we re relate to in society, uh, in the humanity in general. It could relate to people that are professing Christians. But I think as we look at it here in the context, it comes down to the local body, the local brotherhood of believers, uh, loving them, serving God together, seeking to uh, make righteousness and holiness a part of life. Uh, in the brotherhood, uh, in the family, there's rules, there's rules of order, and to defy family order simply says, I love myself more than the family. Now, by this we know that we love God when we love the brethren, or we know we love the brethren when we love God and keep his commandments his commandments are not grievous. The fourth thing that I see here in verse 19 and 20, it says, Hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us not, uh, if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. And that's one of the beautiful things of God's Spirit. You know, when we err, we may not even think about it at the time. But you know, as we go on, we begin to think about what we just did. And it starts, it touches our conscience. Our conscience is troubled, and we respond and take care of that, we can again go on with a free conscience. Some, some uh, couple months ago, I was working out of the office down in the Eastern Shore, and that's where I relate a lot with these Pakistani people, and I have a very good relationship with them. They, they seem to have a high respect for us. They, they like the values that we cl uh, cling to. Uh, they look at us, us as people they can trust. Uh, 
and and so I do a lot of business with them even though they are very difficult to do business with they will barter they will uh, they will try they will try and get you to the lowest you'll go and then they want one more step yet so we were doing work in this farm and uh, he called uh, the one the one man called me and he yeah, he was complaining that the crew wasn't doing certain things that he asked them to do. And so he wondered if I'd stop out at the farm. So I stopped out at the farm. Well, I already knew what the problem was. Uh, it was like I gave him a contract for, um, you know, for, for uh, doing the various things of work that he had wanted done. But while we were there, uh, he would tell the crew, well, while you're here, why don't you do this yet? And why don't you do that yet? And and on through the the uh, you know the, the, that's kind of how it goes. Well, the the bottom line of that is that that's just sort of supposed to be included in the original price that you gave them. So we walked into the barn. I I kind of you know walked in there, and they walked in. And they start pointing out things that need to be done, and. Uh, you know, why don't you just do it? You're here anyway. You should have saw that, and you should have just went ahead and did it, even though it wasn't part of the, the contract. And so finally, I, I got a little irked, and I decided that I left him no under no uncertain terms that those things we will do for you, but we're going to have to establish a price before we do it. And I... I got a little firm and you know we start walking through the barn we looked at these other things and I start thinking about my testimony and what what a witness does that leave and the more I you know we he had four barns there we walked up one down the other and back and up the other one and, and uh, I until that time I was pretty mellow I said yeah yeah we'll we'll take care of that for you and uh then we got to the end, I said, you know, there's one thing I need to, to, to mention. I said, I am sorry that I responded the way I did. The, the conscience was bothering me. And uh, man looked at me, he said, wow. He said, that makes me feel better. I just thought, he, I never knew you could be like that. Um, I just thought you were really having a bad day. <laughs> but, you know, our conscience. And then to respond uh, and take care of those things as we go through the day. We do make them mistakes. We do miss the mark. But, you know, God's still small voice. If we're sensitive, God, God points them things out in our life and we can make it right. And we can go on in a free conscience. And that's really here where he says, if our heart condemneth not, God is greater than our heart. And I'd like to say a free conscience is not equivalent. Uh, a, a, a free conscience or a clear conscience is not equivalent to a seared conscience. There's many people have shut out the voice of God's spirit until the, the spirit no longer speaks. And, and then they, they feel that they are they are you know free to go on in life uh living in sin and that's that's not the, what he's talking about here the assurance we have with god 
And as God speaks in those times where we miss the mark, we take care of it and we go on. We have the free conscience. We have the assurance that all is well. You know, I was, my mind was drawn to the account in 1 Kings 19. You know, God's speaking uh, to our conscience, through our conscience. And, uh, you know, it talks there about Elijah. Elijah had just, you know, he had that great victory there in Mount Carmel. And then he meets Jezebel and Jezebel you know, vows that his life is going to be taken. And Elijah, he goes running into the wilderness, and, and we find that God comes and speaks with Elijah. And God showed his power uh, in a windstorm. It seemed it was untouched in, in Elijah's life. Uh, there was an earthquake, and it seemed to not touch Elijah's life. You have the fire. It didn't touch Elijah's life. But then there was that still small voice that came and said, Elijah, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? And, and that's, that, that's the, you know, God works that in our life, and it's important that we listen to that still small voice. We respond, and the conscience can be free. Uh, hereby we know that we are in Christ and that we have the assurance of eternal life uh, going to verse 24 the last one here it says hereby we know that he abideth in us by the spirit which he has given us and you know, we look at that in, in that whole idea of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives would be a message all of itself but you know to have the Spirit of God within us we have victory over sin we have the ability to love the unlovely uh, we have that fellowship and relationship with God through Jesus Christ his spirit abiding in us guiding us leading us directing our paths according to his will and purposes you know if that is with that in our lives we have the assurance that when he comes he shall uh, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Our conscience is free. Our sins are under the blood. We're walking in fellowship with him. We can have the assurance of eternal life. But if there is that convicting voice of God that we are resisting and turning away from, we have no assurance, and we cannot have the assurance because we're living contrary to God's purposes for us. This evening, I ask, do you have the assurance of salvation? If you're one that struggles in conscience uh, just... Uh, Again, just the, the, uh, the uncertainties, um, I'd like to say this evening that when God touches our conscience, he touches it with specific things in our life that he wants us to deal with. It's not just of a fear of maybe I failed, uh, maybe, things, maybe something isn't right. 
Uh, God is clear. And so this evening, as you, as you think about the Lord's return, is your conscience clear before God? Does your heart condemn you not? Or is there something that is condemning the heart? Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer.